Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Kernels, Kernels of Truth, brought to you by Progress Kentucky. Uh, got a great show for you this week. Very excited to do a bit of a deep dive into the constitutional amendments. Uh, our friend Doug Price is going to let you know what the uh, the House is trying to put on the ballot uh, for us as voters to decide. Uh, then we are going to have a conversation with um, Dr. Brian Clarity, uh, who is a history professor at Murray State University. We're going to discuss the anti-DEI efforts in Frankfurt, why the GOP is so opposed to diversity, equity, uh, and inclusion. And then we're going to close out with our call to action. So it should be a should be a decent show. I'm 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 pretty excited about it. I'm, I had a week off. Uh, I was off in Washington D.C. getting re-inspired by our democracy. Just kidding. Uh, but I am uh, definitely excited to be back uh, here with you guys. And thanks for tuning in, whether it's live uh, on Facebook, on YouTube. I think we're also on X right now, which some of our members oppose because they, they say it's just a cesspool. Lee, let us know in the comments if you're watching on X and you think it's a cesspool or not. Uh, and then, uh, we're of course, where most of our listeners, I think, are uh, folks who check us out as a podcast uh, after our live uh, live show. So again, thanks for joining us, however you're joining us. Uh, but before we get into the show, I want to know, are you ready to help turn Kentucky purple? As the bad bills pile up in the Kentucky House and Senate, it's clear there is still lots of work to do in our state to win better electoral outcomes for our Commonwealth. We hope you'll support Progress Kentucky on our efforts to do just that. Make a contribution right now via our secure online website, uh, website Act Blue, to help turn Kentucky purple. $5, $50, $500, it all adds up, uh, but it all requires you to, to, to voice your support uh, in a tangible um, and bankable way. So now let's check in with our co-host. Uh, let us know who you are, where you are. What are you protesting today? Uh, you there uh, on the internet live, feel free to share what you're protesting today uh, in the chat while we are sharing ours and we can put it on the screen because we now have that technology. That's pretty cool. Uh, I'm Aaron. I'm coming to you from Childsburg, uh, which is, of course, a ball homes community uh, on the outskirts of Lexington. The great thing about being on the outskirts of Lexington, just awfully close to horse farm territory, probably uh, worryingly close to the horses, really. They're like, hey, you guys keep those ball homes away from uh, our fields, please. But it's a great spot to, uh, you know, uh, I'm excited uh, about the weather because right now we've got that little maybe winter's over, beautiful, uh, sunny days. I'm excited to go out and explore those country roads on a bicycle, perhaps, uh, perhaps tomorrow. We'll see what happens. Um, but that's my plan. Um, what am I protesting today? I guess I'm going to protest just generally the Kentucky GOP, uh, which I know it's not terribly specific, but I kind of sit back and watch what they do every uh, every day during the legislature and go, well, I should protest that. I should protest that. I should protest that. Uh, and if you, similar to me, have a lot of things you're concerned about, the, the Kentucky GOP and what they're doing with their super duper majority, wait till our, till our call to action because there's going to be a few op opportunities to, to make a difference and uh, show your opposition to their efforts. Uh, so that's me again, Aaron. Uh, Doug, I think, Doug, are you there? Are you, are you my co-host today? Uh, yes, I am your co-host today. Can you hear me okay? Now I can, yeah. You seem to be ignoring me for a little while earlier there, and I run up to the show. But I'm glad that all these technical difficulties, if they were in fact technical technical difficulties, uh, have been uh, you know ironed out. Well, you know, sometimes when you don't want to hear somebody talk, there is a mute button. So I'm not saying that's what happened. I was uh, off doing some other stuff. But anyway, <laughs> uh, I'm Doug Price. I'm from Harrison County, Kentucky, and we probably have more agricultural land. Uh, in Harrison County than most of the counties across the Commonwealth. So if you want to know more about horses, Aaron, or be around horses or cattle or whatever, you should come to Harrison County sometime. <laughs> uh, so what am I protesting? Uh, today, I'm going to be protesting tomorrow at the Capitol in the Rotunda at one o'clock. The Kentucky Public Retirees Organization, of which I'm a member, coupled with some other organizations, including the Kentucky government retirees, is having a, a rally in the Rotunda. We understand the uh, 
Uh, governor's going to be there. And this is my the T-shirt that I'm wearing. KPR, Kentucky Public Retirees. We're advocating for a cost of living increase that retirees have not had for over 11 years. So if you want to come join us, uh, hop in a car tomorrow, 1 o'clock. See you there. So that is going to be Thursday at 1 o'clock at the Capitol if you would like to show up for a cost of living increase, which will be the first one in 11 years. So, you know, stand up for Kentucky retirees because that's there's been a there's been a fair amount of uh, increases to the cost of living in the past 11 years. Uh, that's crazy. Uh, I hope that, you know, I hope it's successful. I hope that those uh, folks are listening and they do the right thing and, uh, and give you guys uh, a cost of living update. Uh, all right. Uh, well, thanks for joining, Doug. And you know what? You're right. There's definitely a lot of uh, agricultural land in your, your county. That is a strong statement to say you think you've got more than any other county uh, in Kentucky. Because there's a, you know, I don't know if you know this, there's 119 other counties that you're competing against. It's not just a handful. Well, actually, 118 because Fayette County can't compete. We're a big county. We've got a lot of agricultural land. I've you know, ridden my bike through a lot of it. But yeah, no, that's a good point. I mean, Jefferson County probably isn't really in competition in terms of agricultural land. Uh, and obviously, you know, Fayette County, uh, probably not. But every other single county seems like it's got a fair amount of agricultural land. So I don't know. Um, I'll tell you what I'll do is I like to do. I like to research. So I'll research do. that. And upon uh, next time I'm on the show, maybe I'll have an opportunity to uh, either prove I'm right or prove I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you're wrong, we're going to need to rename that whole segment. because. <laughs> 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 but... Uh, you know, I'm I'm down. I bet we can. Uh, we can we'll get uh, Nate to cut you a new song. I bet he can do it. Uh, he's a very talented individual. Um, all right, so let's let's get into it. I think what we wanted to start with for the news of the week uh, is the uh, the rundown that you prepared for us. Uh, Doug is spending the time with the legislature, which we are very glad that he's doing. Uh, spending some time on, uh, you know, the uh, the website to keep an eye on these different bills that are being filed. We have a specific focus, not just bad bills, but you're going to look at uh, what's going to be proposed as constitutional amendments, which lets uh, us as voters get in, in, in on the game. If indeed those amendments pass the, the legislature. Uh, and how does that work, Doug? Like what are the mechanics of the, are, is, I don't know if I want to, I don't want to like ruin anything that might be in your like notes, but uh, yeah, when how does it work that, that they would decide to put these uh, amendments in front of us as voters? Well, in a general sense, uh, a bill is proposed in either the House or the Senate. And it works its way through the committee process and to the House. If it starts in the House, it goes through the House and then it goes to the Senate and the Senate looks at it and all that kind of stuff. Um, and eventually uh, on a constitutional amendment, it ends up on a ballot in the following November. Uh, constitutional amendments do not go to the governor. The governor doesn't have a say. You can't veto them. Uh, but uh, eventually they end up, if they're approved by the House and the Senate, uh, they're approved and they are put on the ballot in November. And the reason I wanted to talk about this um, we do have a lot of bad bills and there are a lot of bad bills that are actually in these constitutional amendments. Um, our constitution was originally passed in 1891 and it has been amended 40 times in the past 132 years. The constitution allows for up to four amendments to be on a November ballot. Guess how many bills have been filed to be on the November 2024 ballot for us to vote, yay or nay. Whatever your guess is, you want to put it in the chat, uh, think about it, and wait till the end of this segment, you'll find out. But I guarantee you, you will not get close to the answer. So you're saying that 40 have been passed because 40 times the Constitution's been amended uh, through 
uh, right? Is that what you're saying? So yes. in the history of 100, how many years? What was that? 100, 132 years. 40 times yeah. it's happened. Yeah. All right. So, so it's not a lot. No. Nope, I mean, it doesn't happen a lot. It's a little uh, more straightforward than amending uh, the federal constitution, though. Um, I don't really know the process of amending the federal constitution, but yeah, I would say it's it's less difficult. It takes a vote uh, of the people, the registered voters of the Kentucky who choose to vote. Uh, it takes yeah, that's, their vote. That's not a thing. We don't have those for the federal constitution. We don't get an amendment in front of us as voters to say, I that's would like true. to get rid of the second amendment. Not, I'm not saying I would want to. I would want to. Um, so. All right. Sorry, Doug, get into it. What have, what have we got in front of us this year? Though? Uh, that's fine. Uh, in my opinion, the Republican controlled legislature wants to obliterate the co-equal branches of government and is using the process of constitutional amendments as a power play to push through changes in our constitution. And when we get the opportunity, we, the people must speak on these issues. They have passed laws in the past that the, judicial, that the judicial branch rightfully determined are against our Constitution. So what do they do? Let's change the Constitution. They tried to do this with abortion in 2022, and the voters shut it down. I'm going to give you a kind of a brief uh, roundup of the, the contenders. The newest one that was filed yesterday, HB4, and a companion bill that had previously been filed, HB 94, states the General Assembly shall determine the date a regular session shall be shall end unless another date is agreed upon by three-fifths of the membership of each house. It also establishes that the General Assembly may be convened upon a joint proclamation of the President of the Senate and the Speaker of the House for, for no more than 12 legislative days annually. Presently in the Constitution, they're detailed on what they can do. And previously, they have tried to pass a bill that allows them to control when they meet. And in my opinion, this is a horrible idea. SB 341 and SB 143, this is an act that where a city cannot allow non-citizens to vote in local elections. Some states, including California, allow non-citizens to vote on local measures. And this bill has already passed the House by an 81 to 15 vote and is now in the Senate. I think this one will pass both chambers and may be on the ballot in November. But in my opinion, this is a feel-good amendment that is unnecessary, but like a lot of things our legislators pr propose, it's in vogue across the country. SB 23, HB 11, and HB 62 all relate to a proposal to amend the Constitution of Kentucky to make changes in the homestead exemption that will be beneficial to those who are 65 years and older. SB 10 changes our election dates to allow our current four-year term executive branch elections to be held on the same November date of presidential elections. I believe that this one will pass both chambers and be on the ballot in November 2024. The logic behind this is that more people vote in presidential elections. I'm in favor of more people voting but given that so many people in Kentucky still support Trump, then I do have some concerns. HB2 and HB208 are referred to as school choice amendments. Uh, this would allow private and church schools to obtain public money. This bill is the second highest priority of the Republican controlled legislature, and this one must fail, and I think it will. HB 295 and SB 117. This proposal would remove the word slavery from our constitution. In section 25, it reads slavery and involuntary servitude are forbidden. 
Slavery and involuntary servitude in the state are forbidden except for a punishment as a punishment for crime, whereof the party shall have been duly convicted. I think the idea is they want to remove the word slavery. And I expect everyone will be in favor of this, but I don't think either of these bills will make it to the finish line. SB 126, uh, it prohibits the governor's ability to grant pardons or commute sentences beginning 30 days prior to a gubernatorial election and ending at that gubernatorial uh, inauguration. I think this one is silly and should not be on the ballot. Senator McDaniel stated this measure is in response to actions taken by then uh, Governor Matt Bevin, which if you were car, we would car will remember occurred uh, as he was going out of office five, six years ago. The next five bills have no chance of being heard in committee nor passing either chamber. SB 143 and HB 336. Uh, this is an amendment to section 29 of the constitution related to citizen ballot initiatives. This one received a committee vote today to move to the Senate floor. I don't think they want the citizens involved in legislation. Believe that. HB 160, uh, it involves Cannabis, the right to possess, use, or buy at age 21. HB 394 establishes a Citizens Redistricting Commission. HB 302 uh, to establish a right of the people to have a healthy environment, including a right to clean air, pure water, and ecologically healthy habitats. And HB 59 uh, this one, I have trouble reading the legalese sometimes, but this one appears to revise an existing law to provide exemptions for unnamed aspects. So I teased you earlier with how many bills have been filed. There have been 19 constitutional amendment bills filed. And it is likely that I've missed some, plus the session has many more days to go. My bottom line is, I think HB2 and HB4 are probably are definite that they'll be passed and they'll be on the ballot. HB341 and SB10 are possibilities. But I really don't think there's going to be four amendments on the ballot. That's my report on Aaron. If you have any questions or thoughts, jump in. All right. So that was a lot. Uh, that was definitely more than I would expect, given the historical track record of constitutional amendments actually becoming amendments of the Constitution, right? So um, the school choice one, obviously, that's a that's a high priority. The state, you know, Supreme Court has weighed in very clearly that, nope, it's not constitutional as our current Constitution is written. So, of course, the Republicans who are, you know, desperate to give our private tax dollars or public tax dollars to private enterprises to run education programs, you know, they're going to do whatever they can to uh, address the challenge. Right. So that means they have to get the, uh, the, the constitutional amendment through if they want to have private charter schools, if they want our tax dollars to go to private schools, which they uh, clearly are desperate to do. But then I'm sorry, the other ones that you wanted to like, that you thought were most, not that you appreciate them and want them to happen, but that you think are going to happen. What are, which, what do those do? You throw numbers at me and I lose numbers. I'm bad with numbers. Uh, but the actual content that they are trying to uh, legalize or whatever. Uh, HB, of course, HB2, you already mentioned. HB4 allows a legislator, legislature to call itself into oh, session. Yeah. And basically what they want to be able to do is if they if they run out of time trying to pass legislation, push it through or whatever, then they want to be able to say, well, wait a minute, we're not really through yet. We want to add a few more days to it. And uh, it's just it's just bad policy that they should be able to complete what they plan to complete in the time frame. Uh, Three forty one. That is allowing non 
citizens to vote. They want to make sure that non-citizens do not vote. We do not allow, um, we only allow U.S. citizens to register to vote. And we don't have, we don't have a problem, but it's like I said, it's in vogue across the United States. Uh, in California, non-citizens can vote on some matters that are uh, before them that, that would affect them. And this, in my opinion, this is a bill that, well, some other states are doing it. We want to make sure that it don't never happen here. And the last one, the uh, change the election dates. That would change the date of our executive branch elections to coincide with a presidential election. And, yeah. and the logic does make sense. More people vote during a presidential election, but still it's anemic, the number of people that vote. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm kind of in favor of that because more people will vote but I'm also concerned too. Well, you know, I think the, the Republicans are doing it because they've they've seen that Democrats have a shot uh, in the statewide elections for governor and the constitutional offices, but they're pretty sure that the kind of cultural like tides will overwhelm any like actual connection to these politicians, right? So, you know, because you know, because the, the federal races, you know, you get folks who are maybe not paying as close of attention um, for whatever reason, you know. Uh, so, yeah, I think that I see why they're doing it. Uh, they think their prospects will be better. Uh, I, you know, and it saves money and it saves people like the energy of having to run as often, I suppose. But I don't I mean, it doesn't really change the duration. It just changes how often. uh how often voters have to pay attention, right? So instead of like every year for a while, it's like, oh, I got to get a year off or whatever. Yeah. Uh, not that they pay that much attention anyway. I don't know. But there's there's a savings argument, but that's not necessarily the number one thing that I'm most concerned about as a taxpayer. Is like, do I want to save my tax dollars or do I want my tax dollars to go things that are useful? And I don't think there's a, I don't know, you know what's the downside of having to pay attention to elections? Like, and, uh, not I got plenty of time. I can I can pay attention to an election every year if if so required. Um, all right. Anything else? I, I want to see a bill that uh, establishes a commission to try to figure out ways to get more people to vote. Let's do a constitutional amendment on that that you have to vote, like <laughs> Australia. I mean, let's do yeah. it. Yeah, put them in jail if you don't vote. Democracy or else? Well, we got House Bill 5 for that. Yeah, put them in uh, jail for about anything. All right, so uh, let's go to my story. Uh, it is one that was flagged by Doug. Uh, it's a really important issue. It's about basically how how much it's going to cost uh, our state uh, if the uh, emergency funding for child care does not actually get renewed, right? So the federal funding for so many things after kind of, or during COVID, uh, that, you know, doesn't last forever. We're going to lose some funding. That funding is significant. Our friends at the Kentucky Policy Center have done a, a, a survey and analysis that shows that we are, uh, we're in dire straits uh, as this funding uh, disappears because there's just an enormous amount of need out there and, you know, childcare is one of those like critical things that if we don't have it, we can't have the workforce kind of engagement that we're hoping for. So it really is, uh, you know, it's an important issue. And again, goes to the kind of the whole issue that Kentucky, the Kentucky Center for Economic Policy has spotlighted that we have got money as a state. Unfortunately, we have a Republican super duper majority that is desperate to pass these kind of austerity budgets that don't spend the money on the actual needs of our Commonwealth. And so that's why it's really, you know, disappointing uh, to hear that, you know, about 40 percent of child care providers in the state. Um, uh, I'm sorry, uh, uh, that there's a, just a ton of folks who are really hanging on, right? Uh, hanging on by a thread. So about 60% uh, 
uh, of our um, um, of our child care centers are fully staffed. So, you know, uh, that means 40 percent uh, are not for fully staffed, which means, you know, n- not quite the, the care that you would want. These American Rescue Plan uh, invested $763 million into Kentucky's child care centers, uh, which, you know, very significant resources, which helped a lot of these child care centers uh, hold on. Uh, about six in 10 uh, of these uh, surveyed child care centers said that, that their center would have closed in the past two years without those payments. So 60% of those uh, surveyed child care centers would have closed without those emergency federal payment payments. Those payments are going away, uh, which means that it's very you know concerning uh, that uh, we might see a huge drop off. We will likely see a huge drop off in the amount of available child care. Child care is expensive. It is you know again the, kind of the number one need that keeps people out of the the workforce. Uh, and without these kind of, it's just, it's, it's a, it's a horrible kind of business model, uh, because so many people's hourly wage is horrible. Uh, and so they can't really afford the childcare and then the childcare, uh, centers can't afford to pay the people what they're, what they deserve, you know? Uh, and so it really is, you know, it's a, it's an issue that our economy cannot kind of continue at the levels that, that it's at, uh, without, reliable, affordable child care. And that was one thing that the American Rescue Plan Act kind of figured out, like, oh, this is a huge weakness in our economic model. And we're going to put some federal resources into it to help it, you know, help prop it up, basically. But that was a short term duration, you know, not an ongoing program, which I think, you know, that's a that's a problem. Uh, And we should, in fact, uh, you know, people need because of uh, inflation, you know, people who were making $10 an hour five uh, five years ago need to make, be making at least $15 an hour now, right? Uh, despite the fact that, you know, we have not elevated our federal um, or our state, uh, for that matter, minimum wage. And there's a real need. People just can't work uh, for less than $15 an hour. Basically, now the cost of living is just too high. Uh, and so, you know, what, what are the options? You know, uh, they can't, if they can't hire people, if they can't pay people that, uh, that what they need to live, uh, then they're going to have to shut down. Uh, and so really this, uh, it's a great report. It's an important report. Uh, it's one that people should read. It's one that our, you know, our state lawmakers should read. Uh, but this is, you know, I'm not hearing a lot of, uh, you know, interest in budgeting these items and increasing the budget uh, for things like childcare payments uh, to support this industry, which I think just leaves us in a, a really vulnerable spot. And, uh, um, you know, I'm really glad that the Kentucky Center for Economic Policy has you know, done this research and shared this information. Uh, it'll be in our show notes. If you want to take a look at it, you absolutely should. Uh, and yeah, um, Doug, I don't know, uh, you, you flagged it for us. Anything that, you know, that I missed that you think is really important to elevate for the, for the audience? I don't really have anything to add. I, you know, it's, it's almost like sometimes I, I want to just say, okay, let's just let you do what you do. And then let's talk about it in a couple of years when all ATWL breaks loose. They just don't, the Republican-controlled legislature, they, they just don't think very well when it's come to things like this. They, they have to see it, but they just don't recognize it. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if we put the link in the, in the chat yet, uh, Annabeth, if you, uh, Annabelle, if you have a second to do that, that would be awesome. Uh, yeah, so we're going to move on to our, uh, to our guest uh, but this is definitely, you know, we're going to continue to watchdog the budget process as it develops. Really important that we hold the legislature accountable. Doug, I will say this. You said, like, they don't think. I think they do think. I think they absolutely think. And they know what they're doing, right? You know, it's like, hey, let's just keep cutting the taxes because then we can keep cutting the services. And then we can have a state that's really best for rich people. And that's kind of, I think, their their primary motivation. So uh, at any rate. Uh, so we're uh, honored to have back with us. Uh, this week's for this week's episode, our first episode, uh, you know, in the month of February, 
uh, is you know bringing on uh, bringing returning guest professor of history at uh, Murray State, uh, Dr. Brian Clarity. Uh, what we love about Dr. Clarity is he's got you know he's got the historical perspective. Uh, he's got a bit of a faith perspective that he brings with him, uh, and he's not afraid to talk about partisan politics either. So you know uh, he, he's like really the triple threat for uh, for me personally. Uh, and I'm really glad to have him joining us uh, again this year. To, as we kick off Black History Month, we thought we should probably bring on someone who knows a little bit about Black history uh, and history in general. And Doug knows some history because, you know, he's old. Uh, but uh, we thought that, you know, Dr. Clarity could help uh, help bring us some precision and uh, accuracy in how we talk about it. Uh, Dr. Clarity, thanks again. Okay, I think you might be muted. Oh, uh, let's see. There you go. All right, good. Can you hear me now? Uh, I can. If you wanted to turn your phone sideways again, that's going to work. There, there we are. Go. Look at that. Even that I love that trick. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. Listen, Aaron, thank, thanks again for having me on tonight. Um, wow. Uh, lots going on in this legislative session. Um, I never thought I'd see the day where Kentucky would become Texas and Florida. But here we are. Yeah. Yeah, no, they they seem to be taking their notes from you know the 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 Kentucky GOP supermajority seems to be taking notes from those two states for sure, right? Scary. And I think uh, one issue I wanted to start off with uh, is the uh, HB nine, which is the anti DEI bill uh, introduced by Wadi Republican State Rep Jennifer Decker, uh, which would force Kentucky's public colleges and universities to dissolve departments and staff positions related to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, it's not the only bill to target DEI, but it's uh, more restrictive than Senate Bill 6, uh, which was filed by uh, State Senator Mike Wilson of Bowling Green, uh, and then Republican State uh, Senator Stephen Meredith of Litchfield is sponsoring Senate Bill 93, which would go after DEI in K through 12 schools. So really, just a really impressive, uh, you know, laundry list of bills that are being, uh, you know, levied against DEI, which of course I guess must be one of the biggest threats to our uh, to our state for sure. What I mean, what's your take? How do you think that this GOP supermajority is is doing in uh, in honoring Black History Month to start start things off there in the legislature? It raises the question for me: What are they afraid of? Diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts don't mean in terms of hiring that you have to meet a certain racial quota and that you have to hire a certain number of Blacks and Hispanics and women and across the racial and demographic uh, gamut. That's not what it means at all. When it comes to the hiring piece, all we're saying is that in the past we have recognized that there were inequities in hiring and that people of color in the past were locked out of the system through systemic racism. What DEI has done really since the 70s, the 80s, and up through now is said, okay, we're going to now try to rectify that by making a good faith effort to make our workplaces and our classrooms and our administrative offices look like America. You still have to be qualified. You still have to meet the minimum requirements for whatever the job is. Once you get the job, DEI does not keep you there. You still have to do your work. But what DEI has done is that it has made it possible for now the workplace, especially in higher education, especially in secondary and elementary education, to make the workforce look a little bit more like America and to make it inclusive and to make it welcoming and less of a hostile work environment. And why the members of the General Assembly, those Republican members, and apparently the supermajority in the leadership, why they want to get rid of this in the Commonwealth of Kentucky is simply beyond me. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you're an educator, right? So it, it does seem like this is, you know, a big part of it. The, uh, these bills are kind of targeting state uh, education uh, initiatives at the K through 12 level and then also at the uh, collegiate level. Uh, I guess it's because they just are really concerned that students, white students, are going to feel, you know, made uh, made to feel guilty about the kind of history and legacy of racism uh, in our Commonwealth and in our country. 
uh, and they are just really desperate to keep them from being, you know, felt to be, uh, you know, held accountable for racism. At least that's what I hear, right, in, in the what conversation about it. The hiring and personnel piece is one thing. You touched on something very, very important insofar as the curriculum and the curriculum delivery piece. Uh, why are we trying to exorcise African-American history out of the curriculum? Why are we so afraid to talk about the legacy of slavery and Jim Crow? Um, I thought that in higher education, it was supposed to be about the marketplace of ideas, speaking truth to power, and addressing our history realistically. What I'm seeing, and what I've been really seeing over the last few years, are these political dog whistles. We saw it in the Virginia governor's race a few years ago when Glenn Youngkin was talking about critical race theory. And then, of course, the former president jumped on the critical race theory bandwagon without a clear indication of what critical race theory is. It's not what people think it is. It's a legal construct. And unless you're a first or second year law student at an accredited law school, guess what? You're not going to be learning critical race theory. Okay, so that got old. And then, of course, the appropriation of the word woke and wokeism. This becomes the new boogeyman. Uh, that uh, if you have policies that are woke, that somehow you're going to destroy the fabric of American life, you're going to poison young minds, and you're going to portray a false depiction of what America is. Okay, that got old. Okay, so now we've gotten off the critical race theory bandwagon, we've gotten off the wokeism bandwagon, and now we're attacking DEI. Uh, <laughs> they're all linked. They're all linked to somehow try to um, eradicate history, to marginalize the rights, the, the gains that have been made in civil rights over the last 60 some odd years, and to take us back to a past that never was. And that is profoundly scary, I know that Governor Bashir will most likely veto this. He will veto it. But with the supermajorities in the House and the Senate, it will probably be overwritten. And there we are in a moment. And um, why people are not as up in arms over this, I mean, I have some theories about it. But this is, some, this is a five-alarm fire we have to address now. This is a five-alarm fire that we have to put out. And because... It's happening in our Commonwealth. It's happening across the country. I know everybody is so occupied with the federal election and Congress and the presidential election, but Tip O'Neill was right. At the end of the day, politics is local, and this is something that we have to address as local communities and as a state community and bring our activism to the question. And so this, to me, is a very disturbing moment. In the history of this commonwealth. I'm going I'm to throw it to Doug in a moment. I wanted to ask you, like, so, you know, what do you think it does to the kind of college experience if they peel back these, you know, these abilities, you know, these efforts to include uh, or increase diversity, equity and inclusion uh, on college campuses? I've got a daughter who's about to head off to college relatively soon. You know, I mean, what what what's the value of these programs and why do you think they're worth uh, fighting for? Very, very valuable. And I'll tell you why. I'll just, I'll just come at it from my own autobiographical experience, having been a college student some 30-some-odd years ago. I came from a small town in northwest Tennessee, South Fulton, Tennessee, um, not the most diverse community in, in the country, very small African-American population. We were taught the lost cause in elementary school and junior high and and high school is a reason why the Civil War started. Uh, we were fed a lot of these uh, right-wing talking points in history. We were not exposed to authors of different racial and ethnic and gender-based backgrounds. Uh, I think we may have been thrown a bone to study Langston Hughes. That was it. I get to UT Martin in 1985. I am exposed to being around for the first time in my life, exposed to Asian students, to students from the Middle East, to students from Europe. We had uh, an RA who was Russian. This is during the Cold War. Uh, I, I'm around folks from Britain. Brit I remember this British a tennis player. 
He and I struck up a conversation about British television. I had never talked to a person from Britain before. Um, I'm learning different ideas, whether it's uh, Marxism, Leninism, the true principles of conservatism. I'm learning about different authors other than Langston Hughes across racial and demographic lines. I left the college experience um, as, I would like to think, A, a fully functioning adult, but I also left it as someone who had a diverse point of view, going into a diverse workforce, going into a diverse world. You strip away that now, you're going to give students a myopic view of the world where they do not grow beyond their own comfort zone, where they're going to be uncomfortable dealing with people of color and people across different other demographics, and you're going to stymie their growth. This is going to be arrested development at its absolute worst. And we do students a terrible disservice when we strip away these programs and give them a half-baked education. Uh, I buy it for sure. Uh, Doug, any questions for Dr. Clarity? Um, I want to mention this. You know, we've talked about the DEI effort in colleges. And of course, one of the bills attacks DEI concerns that they have in high schools. Oh, God. I, I, I think if, I think they, I don't know how they think that uh, if they can start controlling kids when they're in kindergarten, then maybe they'll uh, they'll grow up and be like them. Uh, it just yeah. it's it's really crazy. And um, thinking about the legislature, Aaron mentioned earlier that I spend a lot of time watching the uh, the legislature, and it's there's a lot of time there where I'm like throwing things and uh, I don't want to say cursing, but not very happy with what they're doing. Have, have you heard, seen anything uh, talking about Black History Month coming out of the legislature? Outright, no. Um, is the legislature even remembering Black History Month? I know they had a big function up in Frankfurt not too long ago where the governor and several constitutional officers were, but... I don't know. I'm not on Capitol Hill. What has the House, what has the, the Speaker and the Senate President have done in so far as recognizing Black History Month? I, I, I'm not really clear. I mean, have they? Were they there at the event that the governor had, what, a week and a half ago? Yeah, I, I really don't know. I know that uh, they passed resolutions uh, talking about our governor should condemn the actions at the border in Texas. Uh, that's something that really concerns wow. us these days. So priorities, know, huh? And priorities. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you, you, to me, as I said, all of these issues are linked to fear of the other. Now you take, for example, yesterday, and I, when this blew up in the speaker's face, I, 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 I woke up laughing about this this morning. Um, we've got a, a crisis at the border. We've got a bill that actually, a bill that I don't really care for, but a bill that rectifies the problem to an extent. But we're not going to pass that because Donald Trump said no. Instead, we're going to impeach the Secretary of Homeland Security. <laughs> now, <laughs> you talk about misplaced priorities. That's it in a nutshell. And so they're asking the governor of Kentucky the last time I checked, Kentucky was nowhere near the southern border. And you're asking Governor Bashir to go on record as to doing what now? With exactly. regard to the southern border? Yeah. Seriously? Okay, okay, let's just keep the ballistics on one more thing. It's mighty funny that we're talking about curtailing immigration, but we don't seem to have a problem using migrant workers in our fields to plant and harvest our crops. And the last time I checked, some of them, a lot of them came across that same border. It just seems very hypocritical to me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I think the, uh, the Kentucky horse industry would collapse if they had to pay uh, only for Kentucky legal. Kentucky agriculture would, too. 
Absolutely. Yeah. So um, it's, you know, the hypocrisy, certainly. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that idea that uh, Bet, uh, Betty had shared earlier that uh, the DEI is just one more thing they want to use to kind of an issue to fire people up because we really are too far from the border <laughs> to get people too scared about immigration. And, and most people who know immigrants, it's because, you know, they're in the ag industry and are familiar with the folks who are working very hard at jobs that yes. without them, you know, would go unfilled. Right. And, you know, and I think that's you the nailed it. That's the you dirty secret of immigration, right? Is that we we are as yeah. a country, we actually need immigrants. We are like desperate for immigrants because our birth rate is like plateaued, if not falling. Uh, and if we you know, want an economy that we recognize right now, we are going to have to have more people working in that economy. Uh, the so the fact is we're a nation of immigrants <laughs> from Certainly. the beginning of the founding of this country. We are a nation of immigrants, and unless your name is Geronimo or Sitting Bull or Pocahontas, all of your relatives, all your kin folks and ancestors came from Africa or from Europe or from Asia, somewhere. Yeah. I did want to, like, and I know you pay attention to national politics, Dr. Clarity, so get you a little bit on this one, because there is that nexus to, uh, to, to Kentucky's politics. So Mitch McConnell seemed like he was pretty all in on getting a deal. <laughs> and then he was told very clearly uh, that, no, uh, we are going to back off your immigration, you know, give you Republicans what you've wanted in immigration, not give the Democrats necessarily what they've wanted, but they'll give them something uh, and, you know, make sure that there's the resources for Ukraine, the resources for uh, Israel uh, and resources also for the Palestinians as well. So, you know, it's kind of like, here's the grand bargain, something we're going to work on and uh, get across the finish line. And then Trump weighs in to say, no, Mitch says like, well, looks like he doesn't want it. So I guess, I guess that's fine. I guess that's the, I guess that's what we have. It just wow. seems awfully cynical. I don't know. What's your take on how our how our uh, our leaders uh, in Kentucky's delegation responded to this uh, this this train wreck? When I saw uh, Senator McConnell's remarks yesterday, I kept thinking of that Simon and Garfunkel lyric: "Where have you gone, Joe DiMaggio? Our nation <laughs> turns its lonely eyes to you." <laughs> and I, I remember the Mitch McConnell of the 1980s and the 1990s. Yes, he was conservative. Yes, he was an acolyte for the Reagan presidency. But Mitch McConnell was, at least in those days, a pragmatic Republican who could have worked when he wanted to across party lines. And he was very reasonable and sensible. The Mitch McConnell from 1980, like 85, 86, 90s, would have jumped immediately on that deal because it gave it gave conservatives a lot of what they want. I mean, progressives. I watched Senator Padilla on uh, television yesterday from California. Progressives don't like this deal. Progressives will hold their nose and vote for it, but progressives have a problem with this. And for this conservative deal to come across... And just because Daddy Trump said no, and to watch a seasoned, experienced, influential statesperson <laughs> like Mitch McConnell, a person who, to me, redefined what it is to be a Senate majority leader. He will go down in history as one of the great architects of Kentucky politics in the modern era, but he's also sadly, and I hate to be this blunt, he's going to go down as a coward now. Because this is another instance where he caved into Donald Trump, and he well, knows you know, better. He there's knows a reason. Better. There's a reason he is where he is, right? And that is because he is very good at kind of reading political winds and tacking, right? right. And so he saw what he was up against, and he's like, "Yep, the the right thing is not this thing. This is the best. The best deal is the thing that's in front of us. Okay. But I'm not going to like run into a buzzsaw on principle." Right. So, you know what upsets me the most about this about the about his caving in on this? This bill was more than just about immigration. Ukraine funding was tied yeah. to this. Yeah. The Ukraine freedom fighters and Zelensky and all those folks, they are running out of bullets. They are running out of ammunition, and the Russians are making inroads into yeah. in, into Ukraine. So we know if the that Ukraine like, goes, we are in a moment because oh yeah, no, it is. is not going to stop there. If you if Ukraine goes, 
NATO is engaged, right? We're in trouble. Like, you know, the fact that the, the Ukraine is not a NATO member right now means we do not have to respond in kind. We can just pay off, you know, but, oh, if right. we can't because, you know, the House says no, uh, right. because, you know, Mitch isn't able to, you know, kind of marshal the forces that are necessary, right, from the far, right. you know, more sensible Senate. Right. Like, you know, we're in, yeah, as he said, like, we are in a world of hurt uh, for sure. And, uh, I guess, you know, we know that Rand Paul, Putin's mm. postman, is more than happy for this outcome. Uh, yes. And there's this, there is a strain of republicanism that is all in with Putin, right? You know, we know that Tucker Carlson's, like, going to interview him this week or something crazy. That's uh, right, And that's part of the Republican DNA now, is this pro-Putin, pro-strongman, pro-Christian nationalist identity. Uh, and they're all good with that, right? So yeah, it's 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 harsh times. And I think, as you pointed out, Mitch McConnell is you know is is a kind of a bastion of yesteryear uh, and is not the current crop of Republican leaders. Uh, and that's you know, I, I would tell told if you told me four years ago, I would be mourning the passage of the type of Republican that Mitch McConnell represents and leads. Exactly, you would call I would call you crazy. Uh, but here we I'll are. go you one further than that. If anyone had told me that the party of Ronald Reagan, the party of Mikhail, of of of, of, of who, who, the same guy who walked arm in arm with Mikhail Gorbachev down Red Square in June of '88, declaring the end of the Cold War and the beginning of a new rela relationship with the Soviets, the same person who, who had prior called the Soviet Union an evil empire. If anyone had told me that the problem of Ron the party of Ronald Reagan would be the same party that would capitulate to an aggressive, strong Russian leader, I would have called you crazy. But here we are. And, it, and it begs the question to me, uh, the Republicans are siding with strongmen like Putin, and Erdogan and Orban, and it begs the question: Who's benefiting from this? It certainly isn't the long-term national security interests of the United States. It certainly isn't Europe. It certainly isn't Ukraine. Because I'm going to tell you something: What's going to happen is, if the if the Ukrainians lose this war, Putin is not going to stop there. And if he goes into an Article 5 country in Europe with NATO, we are in a war for real. And the Republicans have well, an opportunity. Maybe we will to be. Stop maybe they won't. Maybe we will be. You know, if Trump's back in, in, in power, uh, you know, and if we, he gets elected once, he's probably in there for life. Uh, and, you know, what we do know is that he doesn't like NATO very much. Right. So, like, it's, it is chilling to kind of see this all play out. Oh, and yeah. I'm, I'm terribly concerned. Yeah. Our national security is in trouble and our democracy is in trouble if Donald Trump is even within a hair's breadth of the White House. And, you know, normally I look forward to presidential elections. Normally I look forward to, to watching them and watching the projection of them. And I get very excited about election night. I'm terrified about this one. Yeah. We got a few months yeah. to prepare. Uh, but yeah, I, I feel you, Doctor Clarity. We don't often talk about national politics. We, you know, we know what our lane is, which we focus right. on Kentucky politics. But we, sure. you know, uh, that that trajectory of of touching on Mitch McConnell, and then I brought up Rand Paul. And next thing you know, it's uh, we're all over with it. But I, I will say this: I think uh, you know, I appreciate your view of Frankfurt. I appreciate your engagement. Any final thoughts you'd want to offer uh, on the kind of where we're at with a, this current super duper majority in Frankfurt and its efforts to, you know, to peel back uh, equity and inclusion efforts. The same efforts and the same energy that we brought to national like issues like uh, the killing of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, the same impulses that we brought to 2020 to make sure that Donald Trump was denied a second term on a national level, we have an obligation and we have an opportunity now to marshal that same energy in our local communities and at the state level. We should be marching on Frankfurt right now. We should be all in our state legislators' offices. We should be bombarding them with emails and letters and phone calls and texts and uh, 
however, smoke signals, whatever, we should be all on top of this. All of our state and local leaders. Uh, stop waiting for a Martin Luther King to come save us. That's not going to happen. We have to be the ones that we're waiting for. And we are going to have to be the ones that are going to have to take the bull by the horns and say enough. Yeah, that's for sure. Thank you, Dr. Clarity. Always a pleasure to have you. Thank Open you, invitation. Aaron. Love to have you back. Uh, Anytime, let's not guys. wait so much last uh, this time. But again, we're gonna we're gonna close down the show quickly because uh, I know our, our producer's yeah. got a, a hard stop coming at us. Uh, and you take care. We'll uh, we'll t touch base with you soon. You know uh, where right, to find. So now, absolutely, Anytime. we're gonna we're gonna move on to our call to action, which uh, you know I think it both it, it flows very well from what Dr. Clarity was just telling us. We need to be marching uh, on uh, Frankfurt. There's a number of folks who are encouraging you to show up to come out. Is a rally for reproductive freedom on February 13th. Uh, that's you know Planned Parenthood. Uh, it's the ACLU. That whole crew, a wonderful group that we are proud to work with. Please show up on February 13th. You can either show up for a reproductive freedom rally or the KFTC lobby. Uh, we love Voting Rights Day. It's also on February 13th. So there's a couple of good opportunities to show up there. Happy to be partners with KFTC on a number of issues, the Kentucky Future Project and others. Uh, and then the next, uh, nope, there's a, a day off. And then the 15th is Moms Demand Action, their gun violence prevention advocacy day we had kathy on last week we love moms demand action uh and love the work they're doing really important opportunity i think this session uh so show up on the 15th uh and then uh the next week is the fairness campaigns <coughs> lobby uh rally day on Feb february 21st so lgbtq plus issues which you know tough sledding right now uh and showing up is 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 really important so please do so um, and thank you so much for, uh, for, you know, considering coming out because that's really what it takes is we just heard from Dr. Clarity, uh, from Murray state, you know, it's really important. We'd be, you know, marching on Frankfurt. Like if we want different, uh, uh, outcomes from this, uh, this group of legislators, we need to hold them accountable and show up. And so there's four options for you, uh, in the next couple of weeks. And I hope you'll take advantage of one of them. We know Doug's going to be on the, uh, uh, out there, uh, uh, on Thursday, which might be today, depending on when you're listening to this podcast or if you're watching it live, it's tomorrow. So yeah, uh, for uh, for retirees and giving them a cost of living update, which they absolutely need. All right, uh, Doug, any other thoughts on uh, on this episode or this subject matter? Uh, no, I think it was a great show. I learned a lot and it's always uh, fascinating to listen to somebody like Dr. Clarity, who is so, so intelligent and so up to date on issues. Absolutely. Cool. Well, you want to close us out? Sure. I'll be happy to. Progress Kentucky is a nonprofit organization registered with the Kentucky Secretary of State and organized as a 501c4. We're affiliated with the Indivisible Project Commonwealth Alliance for Voter Engagement, referred to as CAVE. We're also proud members of the Forward Kentucky Network. Progress Kentucky's goal is to educate, organize, increase voter turnout, and advance a progressive agenda through civic engagement. Uh, next week, we'll be joined by another wonderful guest, uh, Misty Skaggs with EKY, Eastern Kentucky Mutual. Production of episode 148 was by Annabelle Nagel. And big thanks to Nate Orchan, who wrote and performed our theme songs. You can find more information and music at natosongs.com. If you miss our weekly live stream on Facebook or YouTube, audio pack podcasts and our show notes are available on apple google spotify and wherever you get your podcast if you do listen to the pod please leave us a five-star review whenever wherever you are listening right now logo and some graphic content provided by couchfire media more information can be found at couchfiremedia.com see you next week <laughs>